Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here today. Very thankful for our visitors. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. We're so thankful for your presence today. We've got a lot of folks away today, and so we want to keep them in our prayers. Maybe that some are sick, some are traveling, but we want to see them back here safe and sound. We're going to be looking today at the passage read a moment ago, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul here writing to Timothy, the last letter that he would write prior to his departure from this life. So we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, as we think about the theme, Almost Home. When I went away to college, I, like many of you that had that experience, had cases of homesickness. I can remember one Sunday morning, right after church services in North Nashville, getting in the car and turning on the radio, and I picked up a station out of Chattanooga. I felt like I was back home. Many times when I would travel home on the weekend, particularly that first year or so, the closer I got, the more excited I got because I knew that I was going to see family and friends. Just something about going home. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul writes to Timothy, in effect what he is saying to his son in the faith is, I'm almost home. He was close. I want us to think for a minute or two today about this theme, almost home. I want to begin by, first of all, emphasizing the fact that there's some things that Paul speaks about in a very candid and forthright way. First, he speaks about his exit. Listen, if you would, to verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul, as you well know, was at this point in time in his life in chains. In chapter 2, verse 9, Paul made, made it a point to say that he was suffering as an evildoer. Even to the point of chains, Paul was in prison. He was in Rome. This would be his last imprisonment. Chains were nothing new to him. Prison was not anything new to him. But not only does he speak of his chains, but he speaks with an air of certainty. Again, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew that his death was at hand, that he would depart this life. Some of us, death is near. The reason, because of age and because of illness and disease, we understand that it is knocking at the door. I do not know when I will die, but I know that unless the Lord comes, I will experience death. I have no idea where I will die, when I will die, or from what 
I will die. But I do know that the Hebrew writer said, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this cometh the judgment. James compares life to a vapor that appears for a little while, and then he said, it vanishes away in James 4.14. So life can get away, and Paul here is saying that for him, death was at hand. It was extremely close. I want you to think for a moment or two about his view of death. For many of us, it is an unwelcome subject. We don't like to talk about death. Many of us worry about death. We worry about how we'll die and when we'll die and where we will die. I don't think Paul worried about death. As a matter of fact, I think he welcomed death. Because when he wrote to the church at Philippi, some six years earlier, he said, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In that same context, he said, To depart and be with Christ is far better. Paul looked at death differently than most people today. And I suspect that his view of death was quite different from people of all ages. And yet he understood that it's a reality. You can't avoid it. You can't pass over it. It's coming. And so his, his view of death was positive. Paul would say in writing to the church at Philippi, our citizenship is in heaven. He said, whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. John would later write, some years after Paul had already departed this life, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. I think Paul saw death as victory. You see, his vision of death was positive. And because he looked at death in that light, he could say it's a victory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he makes his case about the resurrection of Christ and validates the numerous eyewitnesses, he points out that not only was Christ raised from the dead, but that one day our mortal bodies will be raised from the dead. So he asked the question in quoting from one of the prophets of old, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? His response, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So for the Christian, death is a victory, isn't it? So he speaks of his exit, and then there's a second thing in this text. He speaks of his endurance. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. First, he talks about his conflict. Paul knew something about the enemy. Paul understood that our battle here upon this earth is against the devil. And in writing to the church at Corinth, he would say, We're not ignorant of his devices. And the reason? Lest he take advantage of us. 
Paul would write to the church at Ephesus and say, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. Paul understood that the devil was a reality. And that he had to, as he would say, fight the good fight of faith. Not only did he know something about the enemy, he knew something about effort. He understood that as a Christian, we're involved in what we would rightly claim to be the fight of our life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he would encourage Timothy to wage a good warfare. He would say to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 at verse 12, he would say, Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on life eternal. To realize that, we, that we've got to expend some effort if we're going to overcome the devil. So he talks about his conflict and then his course. Paul said, not only have I fought the good fight, but I have finished my course. In writing to Timothy earlier in verse 5, he would tell Timothy to fulfill his ministry. Did God have a purpose for Paul? Yes, he did. Was Paul willing to be used by God in his service? Absolutely. And you see the Apostle Paul doing whatever he could to advance the cause. Sacrifices, no question. Service in the name of Jesus, absolutely. Here was a guy that understood that he had a course to run. As we live here upon this earth, and we talk about the conflicts that we face, spiritually speaking, are you winning the battle? With regard to the course you're on in life, are you where you thought you'd be? Are you doing what you need to be doing? Are you on the right course? Paul didn't have to stay on the right course, but he did. So I think about his conflict, his course, and then his consecration. Listen again to what he said. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Paul said, I have kept the faith. What Paul was saying here is that he had been faithful to God. And really he could say, faithful until the very end. Historians tell us that Nero Caesar beheaded the Apostle Paul. The time would have been about A.D. 68. Persecution had ramped up against those who belonged to the body of Christ. The Roman Empire was a vast and powerful empire. And they ran roughshod over God's people. Many of those people being persecuted... Many lost their lives, and Paul was no exception to this. And yet Paul could say, look, I have kept the faith. I've been faithful to God. Could I ask you a personal question? Are you faithful to God? If today were your last day, could you say with Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith? 
when the Lord Jesus Christ surveyed the seven churches of Asia. In Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, here's what he said, You be faithful until death. That is, even if it costs you your life, you stay faithful to me. The promise being the crown of life. In James chapter 1, James talks about the, very, the various trials that we face in this life. And those of us who live here on planet Earth are sometimes besieged by any number of adversities and trials and tribulations. And then there are those inward temptations. We talk about the devil and his work. The fact that he is constantly after us and his, his desire is to destroy, to devour. So James said, blessed is the man that endures temptation." Paul here talking about his endurance. And James is saying, if you want to go to heaven and you want that crown of life, then you've got to persevere. You've got to stay true to God. Is it going to be tough sometimes? Yes. Are you going to have to battle your way through this life? No question about that. Are there going to be some highs and lows, some ups and downs, some peaks and valleys in your life? Again, the answer is yes. But you can't afford to give up. And that's why he said, blessed is a man that endures temptation. And then listen to what he said. For when he has been tried. Sometimes we feel like we've been tried, don't we? Under fire. But James said, those who are faithful receive that crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. If we love God, we'll be faithful to Him. If we love the ways of God, again, we're going to stay true to Him. Paul here is writing, and we might say it was a victory lap for him, looking death in the eyes, realizing his time is near to leave this earth. And yet, he does so in a triumphant way. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is Paul speaks of eternal life. He talks about his exit from this life, his endurance in this life. And then he talks about eternal life. Listen to him in light of everything he said thus far. Verse 8. Finally. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. First, I think about his confidence. Paul was a man of great confidence, wasn't he? Somebody might ask the question, what was the source of his confidence? I can tell you what the source of his confidence was. Listen to him again, verse 8. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. His confidence was in God. Do you have confidence in God? Do you believe the promises of God? Peter talked about how there has been given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. There are a lot of great promises in the Word of God. We talk about the pardon 
that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. The fact that God will forgive every sin when we obey the gospel. The fact that in Christ we have, as Paul would say, the peace that passes all understanding. The promise of prayer that we can bow before the throne of God and have the assurance that He hears our prayers. John would say this is the confidence that we have in, that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, according to His name, He hears us. According to His will, He hears us. Confidence in the promises of God. Paul trusted in God. And so I think about the source of his confidence and the surety of his confidence. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. Paul said that we live in hope of life eternal. Which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Now I want you to think about something for a minute. Paul, as he comes to the end of his life, he's about to lay aside this mortal body. His efforts for the cause of Christ are coming to a close. The writings that he has been involved in extensively on behalf of God, about to lay aside the pen of inspiration... And so he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Finally, he said, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. When I read these, when I read these verses, a couple of things stand out. Number one, no hesitation. No quivering in his voice, no concerns, no worries, no anxieties. Paul is ready for death. And Paul is not saying, I hope there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I think maybe there is. Or there's a great possibility God's going to give me a crown of life. No, he said, I know it. Absolutely, positively, confident that what God has promised He'll fulfill. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 1, Paul had contrasted the outward man and the inward man in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he talked about how we do not look at the things which are seen because he said those things are temporal. But rather we look at the things which are not seen, which are eternal. If you make the transition into chapter 5 verse 1, Paul said, for we know, that's absolute. He said, we know that if the earthly house, this tabernacle, this tent, this body. He said, if it be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Let me tell you what, that's faith. That's confidence. That's assurance. There's an old song that we sing from time to time, Blessed Assurance. We need to be confident. When you come to the end of your sojourn here on planet Earth, and let's just say that you know the end is near. And you're lying in a hospital bed, or maybe you're at home in your bedroom, and you know that in a few days, your journey here on Earth is going to come to an end. How do you want to face death? 
with concern, with worry, apprehension, fear. I understand that there are a gamut of emotions that can flood us. And I know that we've never experienced that. We've never walked that corridor before. So it's going to be something new for us. But we can do it with an air of confidence. I don't believe that we have to face death fearful or worried or anxious or scared. I don't think that we have to look at death and and think in our heart of hearts, I just hope that God's going to fulfill His promises. I just hope He's going to give me this crown of righteousness. No, Paul said, for we know. That's plural. And Paul is saying to those people in Corinth, including himself, we know that if this earthly house, this tabernacle, this body be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now you think about the baggage some of those people in Corinth. Some of us are carrying baggage. That baggage, the weight of sin. And there are some of us, we have come out of backgrounds that maybe we're not proud of. And sometimes that baggage lingers and there are times when we have difficulty, number one, accepting forgiveness from God, number two, forgiving ourselves. So you think about the people in Corinth. And he says to those people in Corinth in chapter 6 that some of them had been fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, extortioners, revilers. They had been washed. They had been sanctified. They had been justified. And so in writing to them in chapter 1, he could address them as those who had been sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. These are the very people that he's writing in his second letter and he's saying, look, we know that if this body gives way to death, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Could they be confident? Even though their past had been unfavorable, even though their lives had been steeped in immorality and idolatry, the answer is yes. So I want to ask you, how confident are you? Maybe you have some baggage. Now it might be that you've got some unfinished business. And by that I simply mean you're not ready for that departure because you know that if you were to die... In your present condition, you'd be lost, separated from God throughout all of eternity. If you've never obeyed the gospel, then you need to understand. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, you're without hope, without God in this world. You don't have a prayer. The difference, though, verse 13 of Ephesians 2, when Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are made near, brought near by the blood of Christ. So when we obey the gospel and rise to walk in newness of life, we're said to be a new creation. We've been born again. So you can be confident in your salvation if you'll simply do what the Bible says to do. Now it might be that you're a child of God, but you're not faithful. 
And because you're not faithful, because you're out of step with the Lord, you got some baggage that needs to be taken care of. So what you need to do, do like the prodigal son. Humble yourself and come home. Realize that God will take you back. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Paul here voices his great confidence in God, the source of his confidence, the surety of that confidence. Please listen very carefully. Whether we like it or not, the train's going to stop one day. When that train stops, we're going to get off, whether we want to or not. And hopefully and prayerfully, when that train stops, there's going, to be, there's going to be a crown waiting on us. Because you see, Paul not only speaks of his confidence, but of his crown. He said, the Lord, the righteous judge, he's going to give me the crown of righteousness. That's what Paul's saying. Now he includes us. He said he's going to give that to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Could I ask you in, in a very honest and candid way, do you have a crown waiting on you? The crown's called the Stephanos, the victor's crown. Think about those Olympians in days gone by, the Olympics going to be coming up in the very near future. And those athletes that are expending all of their energy to cross the finish line. Paul crossed the line, and he was a winner. Do you want to go out of this life as a winner? I don't know of anybody that likes losers. I don't know of anybody that wants to be a loser. On that great and final day, they're going to be winners, and they're going to be losers. The winners receive the crown of life. The losers, they're not going to make it to heaven. Paul is saying, nearly 2,000 years ago, I'm almost home. As we speak today, Paul could say, I'm home. One day, Will you be home with the Lord? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to do what they did on Pentecost Day. Just, just what they did is what we must do. Peter said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. The Bible says if you do that, God will add you to the church, Acts 2.47. And if you're faithful as Paul was, there is the promise of the crown of life. If you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be, could I encourage you? Could I encourage you to come home? I know every week when we close our, when we close our services, we extend an invitation. And sometimes we just go through the motions. And sometimes we, we listen 
And we hear, but we don't hear. We don't listen. And sometimes we say, not today, but maybe another day. I don't know what kind of baggage you've got in your life if you're a child of God and you're not faithful, but I want to encourage you to come home. I want to encourage you to come home today. You know, we talk about the fear of hell. There's another aspect of it, and that is the fear of missing heaven. Why would you want to miss heaven? It's incomparable. Won't you come as we stand and sing?